Well, good morning. My name is Aaron Koonsman. I'm one of the pastors here. So it's good to be able to share with you this morning. It's kind of the, as was already mentioned, the last week prior to our senior pastor, uh, Nathan Detweiler, returning back from his little bit of time off. So um, it's exciting to, to have the chance to be able to share with you, as I know the other elders uh, enjoy doing here when we, when we have these opportunities. So um, I have a message that I've been working on for a little bit. It was going to be the, the surprise message whenever the, the baby finally arrived, and it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, so now it kind of ended up being a little bit more of a planned message, but it's something now that I've been working on for, for a, a bit, so hopefully got things ironed out here. Um, if you're a Christian, okay, or if you've been around Christians for very long, uh, you will likely have heard people talk about the bad news, people talk about the good news. Uh, the bad news, of course, being that we're all sinners. We've all sinned or done bad or, or evil things in our lives. And as a result, we're really in ourselves just worthy of death. We're, we're worthy of an eternity in hell in our natural state. And this is under the righteous and justified punishment of God. So the bad news is really that none of us is worthy of anything other than death and hell because we are all naturally sinful. But of course, with the bad news, we have the good news, the gospel, which teaches us that Jesus died on our behalf so that all of us sinners can be freed from this punishment for our sins. And thus, we have a place in heaven for all eternity with God. And to receive that freedom from punishment, all we must do is profess our allegiance to God, serve the resurrected Jesus Christ, and recognize him, honor him, and worship him as our Savior and as the Lord of our lives. And this means turning from those things that God has called evil, those things that are just self-serving, and instead turning to the things that are of God and placing God as the first and foremost priority in our lives. So the bad news is hell. The good news is through submission to the one true and loving God, we could all go to heaven. So m most of us are familiar with these things. We've heard these words mentioned People talk about them. However, even though we may be familiar with these statements, often we do not fully understand them. Or maybe we do understand them, but maybe we just don't really embrace them. Deep down inside, maybe there's some concerns or some doubts or just things we may sort of even disagree with. And maybe if you're, you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe these are some reasons why you're not a Christian, because you have some concerns about, in particular, the, the bad news here. Uh, maybe if you're a new believer, this is still some stuff that you're, you're grappling with, trying to understand, trying to make sense of. And even if you've been a Christian for a really long time, maybe there are some doubts or concerns that you just kind of push down and then they kind of pop up every once in a while and you're trying to understand who God is. And, and often this is, you know, not us trying to rebel against God or disagree with him. We just sometimes don't understand why things are the way they are. Why does scripture say what it says? For example, um, we may understand that God punishes sin, and that may make sense to us if you think about, you know, the typical person walking down the street, or if you think about somebody who, you know, society would consider to be a rather reprehensible person, you know, somebody who's done all sorts of, of things that, that we would disagree with. You know, that might make sense, make sense to us. But we may not really believe that everyone has sinned or has been born into sin. For example, 
how can a young child have sinned? A lot of times we tend to think of children as being innocent. How could God punish a, a newborn baby? I mean, that doesn't make sense to us a lot of times. Have, have babies really sinned? And so many of us, perhaps subconsciously, object to this idea that everyone has really sinned. And we may wonder, is God really a just God? I mean, how could he potentially condemn a, a young child or, or somebody who's maybe severely mentally uh, disabled to eternal punishment? That may just not make sense to us. And, and again, we may doubt whether or not God is really just. Similarly, we may not understand why Jesus had to die for us to benefit from God's grace. I mean, couldn't God just kind of, you know, snap his fingers and, and forgive us? You know, why couldn't he just do that? Why did Jesus have to die on our behalf? And so again, perhaps subconsciously, some of us may look upon God as having some sort of an anger problem, that he somehow had to kill somebody so that he doesn't, you know, lose his temper and just kill all of us. And so again, this brings up some questions, some doubts in our mind, and we may start to question, well, how loving is God really if that is how he is dealing with sin? So this morning, I want to discuss two things. All right, first, um, I want us to understand how it can be true and how it is true that all of us have sinned, the young, the old, the mentally disabled, and even the unborn. All of us have sinned. And the second thing I want us to understand is why the death and resurrection of Jesus is the good news, the solution for that sin. And again, the necessary solution for us all, the old, the young, mentally disabled, and even again, the unborn. And so to do this, we're going to be reading from the book of Romans. Um, that's going to be our, our main spot that we're going to be camping out. We're going to be predominantly looking in chapters 3, 4, and 5. Um, I put all of the references up here so you don't have to worry about writing them down or something or forgetting where I'm pointing you to. This is kind of an order of how we're going to be going through some stuff. If you do not have a Bible, I won't have anything on the screen. So I encourage you to uh, either pull out your phone or raise your hand, and the ushers can give you a Bible. If you're using one of these black Bibles that we have here, uh, Romans is... We're going to start at 12, or at 512, and this is um, page 915. So you can turn there and get set up. Like I said, we'll be starting in Romans 5, verse 12. So let's start this morning in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. And um, even though we love you and seek to serve you, sometimes we do have doubts and concerns about who you are, and what our relationship is with you. And Lord, uh, this morning I hope to uh, share what I have come to believe and come to learn about who you are, Lord. And I just pray that this message would be of you. If there's any portion of it that is not of you, I pray it would be removed. And if there's anything that is to be added, Lord, I pray that you would add it. Help us to come to understand who you are, to know you as a loving merciful and just God, Lord, who seeks to save the lost. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by talking about the all-pervasiveness of sin, how we've all sinned or how we've all been born 
into sin and thus have all been affected by sin. And as I mentioned, we're going to start by looking at Romans 5, verse 12, where it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. What's this talking about? What does it mean that sin entered the world through one man? Well, for those of you who've been reading along with us as a church, we've been going through this Mission 119 discussion where we're you know, aiming to go through the, the whole Bible, read all of Scripture in about a two-year period of time. And back at the very beginning, we were um, reading the book of Genesis. And really, it was in our first week we read about how humankind fell into sin. And that was in the Garden of Eden, and that's when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the first time that humankind sinned. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they, were, that, you know, that they weren't supposed to eat from the tree. And if you revisit chapter 3 in Genesis, it sort of talks about this. You, you'll see that the result of their sin was that, first off, both Adam and Eve became aware of knowledge of good and evil, but also that they and all creation fell under the curse of God and were forced to leave the Garden of Eden as a consequence. The sin of Adam resulted not only in the spiritual deaths of Adam and Eve, as they were now separated from God by their sin, but it also resulted in their eventual physical deaths. So in Romans 5.12, when it says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, that one man was Adam, the first human, the head of all humankind, and the result of his sin was both his spiritual and eventual physical death. But then if you go further in Romans 5.12, it goes on to say, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So not only did Adam's sin result in his own death, but it actually resulted in the eventual deaths of all of his descendants. And scripture goes on further to say that all of his descendants, which of course is us, we are his descendants, we have also all sinned, which is why we too die. And again, that's what it's saying here. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And it's important to point out that this is not saying that given the chance we will all sin. It's actually saying that all of us, with no exclusions, have all sinned. And the evidence of this is that we all die. Now, we may sin as individuals, and we all do, but we've also all sinned as a group, as, as the, the human race, through Adam as our forefather and as our representative for all humankind. Just like in a democracy where we may elect somebody who will make decisions on our behalf that will ultimately affect our lives, Adam made decisions on our behalf that have now affected our lives. We may not have voted for Adam, but he made decisions that now have very real consequences of spiritual and physical death for us, amongst other things. And I want to point out that this isn't the only passage that talks about how everyone has sinned. Um, I want to give a few other examples, and again, this is the second block up there. Um, in Psalm 51.5, King David, speaking about himself, says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So he's not just saying he was sinful when he was born, he was actually saying he was sinful at conception. 
Um, Genesis 8.21, this is right after the flood that we read about again in Genesis. God says that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Ephesians 2.3, um, this is Paul speaking, and he's talking about the natural state of humanity before we turn ourselves and our hearts over to God. He says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then we have Romans 3.23, which is a very often quoted verse, uh, where Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. None of us is without the guilt of sin. We are all dead spiritually in our natural state, and we will all physically die someday as a consequence for our inherent sin. I also want to point out that to deny sin, to say that some people are without sin, is actually to undermine one of the, the more central doctrines of Christianity. Uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It says this in Mark 2.17. is Jesus speaking. It says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is not implying by this that some people are without sin, but rather that those who would deny that they have sin would also deny that they need a savior. Jesus came to save those who want to be saved, not to force grace those on those who don't want it. 1 John 1.8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then going on in verse 10, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. That's pretty strong. To deny that we have not all sinned is to deny that we need a savior. And fortunately, there are many people who would deny that they sin. Or in some cases, and sometimes there, you know, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, there are reasons why people come to these understandings, but there are people who feel that there are some individuals who have not sinned or are without sin. But as we've already read just from these few passages, this is contrary to what scripture is teaching us. And the sad truth is, is that having this understanding that some people are without sin actually creates a misunderstanding of what the gospel really is. And again, this is what we read in, in 1 John here. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and the truth is not in us. His word is not in us. We've all sinned. We've all been born into sin, and thus we all need a Savior. Now, some of you might raise the question, okay, isn't there, you know, an age of accountability for sin, um, a level of maturity or understanding that an individual needs to reach, um, you know, such as a young child or, or maybe somebody who's uh, suffering from, you know, a severe mental disability, um, where they wouldn't be punished for sin? You know, it's a legitimate question. Um, an important question, and one that we're not going to fully um, explore this morning. But what I do want to say about that is that the age of accountability, that theology, if you will, really has nothing to do with whether or not a child or anybody else has sinned. Okay, we've all sinned. That's what we were just reading. The age of accountability theology has to do with how God deals with sin. Essentially, the understanding is that if a child or somebody who's severely mentally handicapped um, really doesn't know any better, how does God deal with sin? How does he deal with their sin? Um, 
And the understanding is that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus as our Savior and as their Savior, Jesus would cover that sin in those situations. Now, Christians don't really agree entirely on if this is how God is working things out. There's some things you can look at Scripture that would imply one way or another. Um, but really, that's, that's not as important. Um, the critical thing that we need to understand is God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a just God. So regardless of if, if the age of accountability is how he works out these situations or if it's something else, when we stand before God's throne, nobody is going to have the opinion that God was unjust in how he was dealing with the situations. You know, he is a loving God. He is a merciful God. And he is going to do what is right. The bottom line here that I'm getting at is regardless of the situation, all of us, everyone, has been born into sin. And whether we realize it or not, we all thus need a Savior. Now, there are other people who may object to this idea that Adam somehow was sinning on our behalf and that that resulted in us inheriting the sin nature and the consequences of Adam's sin. They would say that this is unfair. I mean, how can a supposedly just and loving God force us to face the punishment you know, again, even on the extremely young or severely mentally disabled, how can God force all of us to face punishment for the sins of Adam? Because who wanted, I mean, who wanted Adam to be our representative? Who chose him to be our representative? And I have to admit, you know, that this does seem somewhat unfair. However, although it may seem unfair, if the punishment and the consequences of sin seems unfairly earned, I would argue that the benefit that we gain more than compensates for the punishment. I would suggest that uh, the benefit, and, it, and actually beyond that, so the, the benefit we gain more than compensates for the punishment, but not only that, even if you are of the understanding and you feel that it is an undeserved punishment, I would also argue that the benefit that we gain is even more undeserved by us than the punishment. If we read in Romans 5.18, and you can just flip there if you want, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So in other words, the one sin of Adam as our representative, resulted in the death of us all. However, the one righteous work of Jesus, who is also our representative, resulted in life for all of us who follow him. So even if you struggle with this idea of God condemning humanity as a whole because of Adam's sin, and perhaps you, know, you, you want to feel justified before God and you're angry with God about that, well, what are you going to say about our collective benefit through our other representative in Christ? And my advice is, even if you struggle with the bad part of this, is just take it because the good part is so much better. I mean, let's say you went to the mall, all right, and you just happen to own a car that is a piece of garbage, so you, you barely make it to the mall. It's just limping along on its way. You park your car, you go in, you spend a whole day shopping in the mall, okay? 
you come out and you find that your car was towed. And you do a little bit of investigation because obviously you weren't expecting your car to be towed. And you find out that not only was it towed, but it was actually sold to a junkyard and scrapped, so totally destroyed at this point, okay? Which, you know, understandably, you're annoyed by that. Um, so digging a little bit deeper, you find out that the guy who apparently called for it to be towed did it because he said he owned that spot and you were in his spot, as if somebody could own a spot at the mall, right? Except it turns out he actually does own the spot in the mall because he's the mall owner and you parked where it said reserved for mall owner and a little sign that you failed to see. But, oh, okay, so you parked in the wrong spot. But that still doesn't justify him towing your car and destroying it, right? Well, he agrees with you that that was you know, presumptuous on his account. He thought somebody was just playing a prank and dumped a piece of garbage in his parking spot, so he just had it towed and discarded. Um, so he says, okay, um, as compensation, I'm just gonna give you my new BMW. So are you going to, in that situation, argue about how your car was unjustly destroyed, or are you gonna take the BMW? Which one are you gonna do? So obviously God, unlike the mall owner in this example, doesn't make mistakes. However, it's still worth asking are you going to stick with arguing about how you may feel like you've been unjustly given this punishment from God, or humankind has unjustly inherited this sinful nature? Or are you just going to accept eternal life in heaven? Which one are you going to go for? For me, it's an obvious choice. So my first point is that we have all sinned. All of us are in sin. The young the old, the mentally disabled, and even the unborn. All of us are in sin, if not by our own choices, then definitely by our corporate sin as humankind because of our representative Adam. Nobody is innocent. Nobody is without an inherent sin and is somehow unjustly facing punishment. Adam sinned, and that led to all of our deaths and the expression of sin in our individual lives. And as unpleasant as that is, as we read in Romans 5.18, while the sin of Adam may have resulted in everyone being condemned, the work of Jesus as our other representative is the way for all of us to have life with God eternally. So the bad news is significantly outweighed by the good news. And the good news being the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the solution for that sin. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. Why is the death and the resurrection of Jesus a solution for sin? So revisiting Romans 5.18, it says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So Jesus' act of righteousness resulted in the cleansing of our sins and eternal life for all of us who would follow him. And we learn a little bit more about what this act of righteousness is when we jump back to that verse we already talked about in Romans 3.23. And we're going to go starting in verse 21. Again, you can flip there and follow along. But starting in Romans 3.21, it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith 
in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So this passage is saying that the entire Old Testament, which is the Law and the Prophets, the entire Old Testament are testifying about this righteousness we can receive from God by believing and trusting in Jesus. All of us are sinners, so we all need God's righteousness to be able to enter into heaven. And then continuing in verse 25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God presented Jesus, who is himself in the flesh, as a sacrifice of atonement. That's a sacrifice that wipes away the eternal consequences of our sin, that we may be able to be holy and enter into heaven. And we benefit from Jesus' sacrifice if we trust in God in faith. In fact, it isn't just us who benefit from this. It is actually all of humanity, even from ages past, who benefit from Jesus' sacrifice of atonement if they believed in and trusted in God. That's what it means here when it says, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God applied the blood atonement of Jesus to all of humanity, past, present, and future, so that anyone who believed in God, who trusted in God, could have their sins wiped away and thus be able to enter into heaven. The reason we can go to heaven is because we have faith in God. And because we have faith in God, the righteous work of Jesus, becoming the perfect and sinless sacrifice, atones for our sins that we might be able to go to heaven. And this is actually how God has set up the entire world. This is how God has really always set up the world. The reason Abraham, that we read about again, a few weeks ago, back in Mission 119, the reason he could go to heaven is because he had faith in God. And because he had faith in God, Jesus' righteous work atoned for his sins as well. And we read about this in Romans 4, verse 1. Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And skipping to verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So righteousness, God's righteousness is credited to those who believe. And this is done because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is true today. and has been true through all of humanity since the fall of humankind back in Genesis chapter 3. The reason that Jesus' death and resurrection is the good news is because this is how grace is applied to us. 
It doesn't just happen at the snap of God's fingers, okay? Grace costs something. Grace is not cheap. In fact, grace is so expensive that God let himself die in our place that we might understand how extreme of a cost it is when we sin. But also, so we can understand how merciful and how loving God is. Because he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to face humiliation and death on our behalf. But he did that because he loves us. God isn't simply saying, hey, come to heaven. I mean, that would be loving in and of itself. But he's also saying that the only way to enter into his presence is for us to be without sin, which is, of course, impossible for us. So God in Jesus sent himself to die in our place so that we can enter into his presence. He's invited us into heaven and paid the very costly wage for our sin in his death so that by that we may have his grace. So our second point this morning is that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the good news because God has always used sacrifice to atone for sins. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And if you receive his sacrifice in faith, he will be the perfect solution for our sin. This is why Jesus died. Sometimes when people look at the Old Testament, they see a religion of of works and of blood sacrifice. And then they'll go look at the New Testament and they'll see a religion of faith and grace. And kind of as a, a tangential thought this morning, What I'm hoping that I'm bringing across is really there's an amazing continuity in Scripture. Because God really has worked throughout all of history through grace and through faith. And again, this is all functional because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices for sin were simply a shadow of the things to come and those things that came in Jesus. So this isn't a God with an anger problem or who has a questionable definition of love. Really, this is love and mercy in its most extreme form. So all of us have sinned, all of us, and all of us can receive God's grace of God by having faith in Jesus. And this grace is the wiping out of our sins because of the perfect sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus as the Messiah. I'm going to pray for us as the worship team comes forward. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to freely approach you, to accept you, Lord, to serve you, and to hand our lives over to you, Lord. And God, we just pray that you would build our faith Struggles and doubts are real at times, Lord, but help us to work through them. Help us to rely on you, to trust in you more fully. We praise you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.